So when we think of wrath, we have to go to scripture, right? So what's God's word say about the wrath of God? I mean, you think of Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So Mark, what is that, that, that outpouring of wrath because of the suppression of truth? Elaborate on that. Truth being suppressed as opposed to man yielding to the reality of God's existence. I'm quite excited at the moment that question wasn't aimed at me. It's aiming at Mark's <laughs> wrinkled brow. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what you're getting at, what you're thinking through exactly, right? I don't know. How would you answer that, Easy? <laughs> this is called tennis. I'll hit it back How at you. How would you answer that? Yeah, hit it back. What, well, is that Aristotle or who is it that answers the questions of the questions? I think it's Socrates. Socrates, yeah. Yeah, sock yeah. it back. So we're talking about the wrath or the wrath of God today. By the way, friends, you may not know this, but I'm joined by Oscar Navarro and Mark Spence. Ray Comfort. And make sure, please, to rate this program. I usually say this at the Why end. Why do you tell them to rate after you go through this little dad joke monitor? Because there are no 10 sense. stars. Because they only have five as a top. So I, you know, people will be like, oh, where's the 10, 10 star? So I don't want to throw them off. Yeah, make sure to rate the program. Make sure to comment subscribe. and subscribe. And share it with others. Make sure to check out livingwaters.com for all of our resources. The reason why we ask you to subscribe, listener, first and foremost, I mean, we're super thankful listeners. that you're listeners. I, <laughs> listener, but I'm talking to the individual. Yeah, well, yes, he, to the one listener, the one, the, uh, Sue Comfort. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs> the reason why we ask you to subscribe is because it helps get this podcast that we hope and pray is always a God-fearing, God-honoring podcast up on the charts. And it has been charting. And what that does is it means more believers and non-believers can more easily find God-honoring content like this. So your act of subscribing and listening is helping in a way further the gospel, which is amazing. And the reason why we ask you to leave a comment and a five-star rating is because we're so desperate for you to say you like us. (laughs) Yes, very much so. And to help us in that regard, make sure to check out uh, podcastatlivingwaters.com, our website. No, that's our email. That is completely (laughs) wrong. (laughs) Podcastatlivingwaters.com and uh, send us suggestions for topics. Yeah, our email. Also comments. All right, guys, the wrath of God. Ray, this is another one of those topics. We did a podcast on the holiness of God. The wrath of God is another topic that is greatly avoided, maybe even more than the holiness of God. And I think that the wrath of God is one of the most essential things that needs to be preached, especially in this generation. Do you agree? Yes. You remove the law from the equation, and then the wrath of God makes no sense. In fact, it becomes offensive because then you're going to talk about hell and judgment day. So you you make any judge lawless, take from him the law, then his purpose of being a judge is void. It's ridiculous. So you end up with an idol. And so the the law is essential to remind us that God is a God of justice, that he stands for truth and righteousness. And then once you bring in the law and reason with people, hell makes sense, which means the cross then makes sense. So if we want to see people come to Christ, you've got to go back to the basics and do what Jesus did. Yeah. Mark, isn't it an interesting thought that wrath is perfect? Like when we think of wrath, we think of it, I think often in a negative sense, oh, the wrath. But wrath is good in connection to God. We want God to be wrathful. We want God to be just. I think it was Paul Washer who said, 
the problem with God being good is that you're not, hmm. right? We want God to be good, but why do we want God to be good? We want God to be good because everything within us cries out for justice. And God will make sure that justice is carried out. I mean, every idle word a man speaks, he often to give an account thereof on the day of judgment. Eric Alexander, he said, uh, the real horror of being outside of Christ is that there is no shelter from the wrath of God. Ooh. I get a lot of these quotes from uh, gracequotes.org. They're, they're absolutely amazing. If you're ever looking for a filler or something, maybe for a sermon or you're given some sort of a family devo, it's a great place to go. I, I highly recommend it. Yeah. But Hebrews 3.8, it says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion and the day of trial in the wilderness. And then I was reading through a little bit of Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, which is, would you say, Ray, outside of uh, Sermon on the Mount and anything Jesus or Paul or Peter ever did, that Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, is probably the most popular yet despised, most famous sermon out there? Oh, yeah. It was taught in schools for many years oh, yeah. in history. Was it really? Um, but I was disappointed in it because first time I read it, I was expecting I'd be holding on to the doorposts and trembling, yeah. but I didn't. But it did have that effect, apparently, when it was first preached. Yeah, oh, yeah. Probably he, because it was done with a monotone, apparently. And it was manuscript. With candlelight, bare eyesight, yes. candlelight, and it was just monotone, but it had God anointed it. Listen to this quote, this, this single sentence. He said, You are 10,000 times more abominable in his eyes than the most hateful, venomous serpent is in ours. Oh, dang. Jesus loves you. Ray, I'm actually... It <laughs> <laughs> has a wonderful plan for your life. Ray, I, I actually trembled when I read it. I remember as a newer believer. Same, same here. And it made me like, whoa. It was just so heavy and so foreign to a lot of what I had been hearing at that time. You know? Probably because I was soaking my soul in Spurgeon around those times in Whitfield, and I was kind of used to that, mm. that yeah. talk. And I expect, okay, now I'm, I'm at the epitome of the most terrifying sermon I'll ever read. That didn't make me tremble. But have you heard of Paris Reedhead? Of course. Three shekels and a shirt? Ten shekels yes, and a shirt? Yeah, ten shekels and a shirt. What a great speech. Have you heard his voice on tape? I'd mm -hmm. love to swap well, him, yeah. but he's gone to be with the Lord. He could have left it to me, I guess, but it's just beautiful, <laughs> him. beautiful voice. But easy, you said 10 shekels and a shirt. What does that mean? The, the listener has no idea what you just said. That's a sermon. Yeah, it's a sermon. It's a sermon preached by Paris Reedhead, 10 shekels and a shirt. And it's something worth listening to once a year, right? It is so I never powerful. Heard it, you, you've I'll never heard it. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to listen to it right now. Excuse me, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I could have met him years ago. I was traveling in his area, and someone said, do you want to meet him? And I said, well, I've got other things to do, but I wish I had. But anyway, what I'm leading up to is a quote that I've used many times, and it's so needed in our, in our nation at this time. If I had my way, I would declare a moratorium on public preaching of the plan of salvation in America for one to two years. Then I'd call on everyone who has the use of the airwaves and the pulpits to preach the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, and the law of God until sinners cried out, what must I do to be saved? Then I would take them off into a corner and whisper the gospel to them. Wow. Don't use John 3.16. Such drastic action is needed because we have a gospel-hardened generation of sinners by telling them how to be saved before we've given any understanding of why they need to be saved. <laughs> you know, what a, that's almost Ooh. heresy nowadays. Don't give them John 3.16, but it's true. Don't give the cure if you're not going to talk about the disease. Yeah. Who hasn't heard of John 3.16 in America? Who can't quote it? You know, who hasn't seen it held up at Super Bowls? 
as happened many years ago, but they need to hear the justice of God, the wrath of God, the righteousness of God, the law of God until they tremble. Give them an earthquake like the Philippian jailer. Yeah. Can oh. you send that to me, Ray? <laughs> Next question, Mark. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's heavy. And, you know, man, when it comes to the wrath of God, it's just not preached the way it used to be. I mean, we're talking about sinners in the hands of an angry God, Paris Reedhead. Who I said remember, God in the hands of angry I, sinners? I stumbled somehow. No, no, that someone said that. God in the what? God Say- in the hands of angry sinners. Ooh. You know, and that's, that's what's happened. They've, yeah. they've taken the nature of God and changed it for their yeah, own so ends. Yeah, you know, you just, again, you don't hear preachers preach like that anymore. I remember when Rachel and I had first met, actually a good friend of mine gave me this sermon by a guy named Rolf Barnhouse or something like that, uh, Barnhart or something. I can't it's remember pronounced the name. Oscar Navarro. Yeah, and this guy was amazing. I mean, he, he was giving this whole scenario of taking a tour through Abraham's bosom and the part where sinners were, and he was just talking about the memory, their memory being there. And he says, we take a tour and, and there are people, you know, running around, pounding into the air saying, open the door, open the door, open the door. And it's like Father Abraham is a tour guide. He goes, Father Abraham, what's this? What are they doing? He says, he says, oh, they're knocking on Noah's ark. Mm. They're asking him to open the door. They didn't heed his preaching. And, and now, you know, and he goes, but Father Abraham, I don't see I don't see a, a Noah's Ark here. He says, no, it's not here, but it's in their memory. Hmm. Oh, man, as I, you might think about it. And then he goes into someone running around, their hand held out, and saying, oh, take it away, take it away, please, get it away, get it away. And Father Abraham, who's that? Oh, it's, 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 it's King Herod, and he's trying to get away from the, from the head of John the Baptist, um, or, or Pilate, or no, Herod. Yeah. yeah. Get away from the head of John the Baptist. <laughs> <laughs> Pilate got beheaded by yeah. Herod. <laughs> no, because he goes to Pilate then. But he says, you know, and he says, what is it? It's, but I don't see the head of John the Baptist. And no, it's not it. in his memory. Wow. And then he goes to uh, Pilate, you know. And he's, get it off, get it off, get it off, I get it off. What is he talking about? Oh, the blood of Jesus. I don't see that. No, but it's in his memory. He's trying to get it off his hands. He's trying, oh, I get the chills just thinking That's about awesome. it, you know. But tied into that is God's wrath, yeah. right, upon sinners. And it's just kind of a, will that haunt them? I mean, you think of Lazarus, right? I mean, he, he had memory. And when Christ talked about that, Lazarus and the rich man, and or the rich man, when he had that memory. So anyway, the wrath oh, that's of God. powerful, easy. That really, I pictured all that. It's just horrific. I'm trying to find it. I, my friend has it. You've got to hear it, Dad. It'll, oh, man. One of the big pushbacks that we hear about the wrath of God comes not only from atheists like Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris, but now you're even hearing it in the deconstruction circle. And it goes something like this. It goes, to believe in a penal substitutionary atonement, which requires an atonement for the wrath of God, is to be a worshiper of a bloodthirsty God who violates his own laws against child sacrifice in order to commit cosmic abuse and murder against his own son. That's a direct quote. And bottom line is what you'll hear is... Is that Sam Harris or Dawkins? I don't have who wrote it, actually. Sorry. The bottom line is you'll hear that theme. You'll hear a bloodthirsty God, a child sacrifice, cosmic abuse. Sounds like Dawkins. But even deconstructionists are saying the same thing, people who claim to be Christian in the process of deconstructing their faith. The challenge is that many will respond in an attempt to defend the wrath of God by saying something like this, God really loves us, but he has to be just. 
He has to punish. And that's not the worst response ever. The challenge with that is that it makes God sound like he is subject to some external law that he has to, like he's forced to be wrathful. But when we read the scriptures, wrath is a part of his attributes. It is a part of who he is. And so one of the things that that the bloodthirsty sacrifice abuse misses is that it ignores the New Testament clear teaching of the unique identity of Jesus. Because Jesus was not a child. He wasn't a mere human. He was God, the eternal Logos, the divine son, the Lord before whom every knee will bow down. He was not a helpless victim. He was the father's equal. And in the most profound sense of ways, he is one with God. And so it is God who judges himself. It is God who condemns himself. And it's God who allows himself to be quote unquote abused. And so the critics just miss the reality of the Trinity that God is sacrificing himself on the cross and that puts to death that argument of bloodthirsty sacrifice and abuse. And just one last thing, I think a better way of understanding the wrath of God is realizing that it is caused by his anger towards evil. I mean, if you turn on the news today and you just spend an hour looking at the local news, talk to a police officer in a major city like Los Angeles and ask him the things that he has seen, the kind of child abuse that he's seen, the rape victims, the murders that he has eyewitnessed. To be able to look at that stuff and not be angry, if you're not angry about those things, it's not because you love, it's because you don't love. It's because you don't care about victims. See, to be indifferent in the face of evil is morally reprehensible. And God's anger arises from his love, his love for victims, his love for goodness and flourishing and the well-being of his creation. His wrath ultimately is an outpouring of his love. Wow. Boy, you know, that flies in the face of the whole idea that we are to love the sinner and hate the sin, or God loves the sinner Mm. and hates the sin. Listen to what D.A. Carson specifically concerning that cliche. He said, God hates the sin, but loves the sinner. That is so false on the face of it and should be abandoned. Mm. 14 times in the first 50 Psalms alone, we're told that God hates the sinner. His wrath is on the liar and so forth. And in the Bible, the wrath of God rests both on the sin, Romans 1, verse 18, and on the sinner, John 3, 36, which says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, and whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides upon him. So hmm. when we say, God loves you, we're not given a clear picture, are we? I mean, no, there's a wrath that abides upon that person. And we have completely convoluted and we have abused and misused the word of God to not just our own destruction, but to the destruction of our hearers. Because when we say God loves you, how do they interpret that? Right? They interpret that as, well, I can continue to do whatever it is that I'm doing because God smiles and he winks down upon me. We need a t-shirt with Jesus loves you crossed out and God's wrath abides on you written underneath of it. Right. Hey, listener. 
Have you ever imagined yourself having a box of goodies for you to give away to every friend, loved one, non-believer that crosses your path? Well, now you can get one. That's because Living Waters is giving away 10 free boxes of goodies every single week. That's eight in the USA and two overseas. And this is being made possible by a faithful partner of ours that has given us funds to make these resources available to you for free. Each of these boxes has a hundred dollars. That's right, $100 worth of tracks, books, and even your very own podcast mug. Go to livingwaters.com forward slash podcast, fill out the form, and then listen to the end of the episodes where we will be announcing our winners. Livingwaters.com forward slash podcast. Good luck. I was quoting earlier Donna McLeod's Christ Crucified. It's an excellent book. I should say I was referencing that book earlier. It's fantastic and it covers all of this. So I just want to make sure I gave credit. In light of what you were talking about earlier, Oscar, too, regarding Jesus being a victim of some abusive father. Mm -hmm. Remember what Jesus said, no one takes my life away from me. I willingly lay it down. And, you know, like you said, this, this was an eternal orchestration within the divine Godhead that the father would send the son and the son would go willingly and give his life. D.A. Carson's great. I mean, we're quoting him a lot because he touches on these subjects a lot, but he, he defines the wrath of God. He says, wrath, unlike love, is not one of the intrinsic perfections of God. Rather, it is a function of God's holiness against sin. Where there is no sin, there is no wrath, but there will always be love in God. Where God in his holiness confronts his image bearers in their rebellion, there must be wrath or God is not the jealous God he claims to be and his holiness is impugned. The price of diluting God's wrath is diminishing God's holiness, right? So you think about that. I mean, it's good. Diminishing God's holiness Mm -hmm. when you dilute his wrath. That's huge. So when we think of wrath, we have to go to scripture, right? So what's God's word say about the wrath of God? I mean, you think of Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So Mark, what is that, that, that outpouring of wrath because of the suppression of truth? Elaborate on that. Truth being suppressed as opposed to man yielding to the reality of God's existence. I'm quite excited at the moment that question wasn't aimed at me. It's aiming at Mark's <laughs> wrinkled brow. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what you're getting at, what, you, what you're thinking through exactly, right? I don't know. How would you answer that, Easy? <laughs> <laughs> this is called tennis. I'll hit it back How at would you. you answer that? <laughs> yeah, hit it back. What, well, is that Aristotle or who is it that answers the questions of the questions? Uh, that was Socrates. Socrates, yeah. Yeah, soccer yeah. back. Yeah, I would say that the outpouring of God's just wrath is provoked by, again, the sinfulness of man and the suppression of truth. We take that lightly. You know, people toy around with truth. We've seen that. How many times have we witnessed to people on the streets and we bring up the matter of truth and they get into this like silliness. I was talking to a guy the other day. It'll be in one of our programs, I'm sure. But I used what you often use, Ray. He was like, nope, nope, truth is truth to you. It's truth to you. It doesn't matter what anyone thinks. It's truth. So I take him through the, okay, someone says the sun is square. It's blue. It comes out at night. 
you know, it's and so forth. Ice. Made of ice, right? That's what it is. I said blue, made of ice. Yeah, I, I told him, made of ice comes out at night and it's square. And he tried to actually, well, yeah, well, you know, actually. And then he stops. He goes, no, you got me there. <laughs> <laughs> now you got me there. Oh, where was this <laughs> at? This was at Huntington. Oh, that's great. And it was just great because, again, I, but that's what man does in his folly. So, but again, people look at that and, oh, well, I truth. But the suppression of truth, and notice what he ties it in with, unrighteousness. It's unrighteousness to suppress the truth that's already been revealed to you, right? Because through his invisible attributes, which are clearly seen, his Godhead, I mean, revealing to man. And then man, having been enlightened to that truth, knowing God, in a sense, and what it talks about in Romans 1, rejects that and turns away. And then we see the outpouring of wrath, not just in what we're going to see in terms of sinners being punished in time and eternity, but even in reprobation and the giving over to their depravity to do those things which just are unfitting and distasteful. I'm speechless in the face of blasphemy. Mm -hmm. Mm. When we think of God's holiness and his attributes, his justice and truth, that people would take his name, holy name, and when they're so familiar with the Lord's Prayer, Father who art in him, hallowed be the name, and they don't even realize what they're doing when they substitute it for a filth word. Yeah, yeah. It is, and again, that's again, I think in part, a suppression of truth. Mm. You Mm. know, not willing to render what is due to the God that they know is real. Suppression of truth, would that be the truth revealed and that God has given light to every man? Yeah. Right. I think it was Jared Wilson that pointed out that we went from Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of an angry God, to a type of preaching that's more like Dale Carnegie's, you know, positive message of winning friends and influencing people. And he quotes Richard Nibur probably saying that wrong. No, Richard is correct. Okay, thank you. (laughs) It says, a God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the menstruations of a Christ without a cross. Mm, That's really good. Yeah, and Jerry Bridges said, he said, we must not lose sight of the fact that God's wrath is very real and very justified. We have all sinned incessantly against a holy, righteous God. We have rebelled willfully against his commands, defied his moral law, and acted in total defiance of his known will for us. Because of these actions, we're justly objects of his wrath. Yeah, these are the things we don't hear, (laughs) but they need to be said. They need to be heralded. And Ray, when you were in New Zealand back in that time, was it void as well then from pulpits? Were there churches that would herald the the wrath of God? Not really. New Zealand, being a small country, was so influenced by the shadow of gigantor America when it comes to Christendom. Right. You know, the popular prosperity preachers just had their way in New Zealand, just just right through pulpits. Look, this is a new revelation. God wants you to prosper. And they forgot all about God and just thought of their own prosperity. You know, the world's image of God is so erroneous in that they think that, seriously, God reaching out his little finger, or big finger, to touch Adam's finger, that's the image they mm, have of God. Yeah. The Christian doesn't have any image of God. We're at a loss. We've got scripture, and we've got the genius of his handiwork through creation, but we don't have an image of God because we can't get there. You're standing up because of the truth of this? I'm hot. <laughs> so we're breathtakingly devoid of any ability to describe God. Who could ever begin to describe God, mm. especially as... Uh, those attributes that we're dealing with. Yeah. Uh, Ray, one of the verses I hear you quote often 
when you're witnessing to people is Proverbs 11.4, riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Why is that a go-to for you? <laughs> the sinner has no desire for righteousness. As I've often said, I had as much desire for the word righteousness as a four-year-old boy has for the word bath. I wasn't interested before I was a Christian, but when I became a Christian, the night I became a Christian, I, for the first time in my life, began to thirst after righteousness mm-hmm. because of what the Lord did to me. It left me in terrible straight before the Lord and I thought how can I be made right with God sinners have to realize that without that righteousness they're going to come under the wrath of almighty God mm-hmm. and so it's righteousness and scripture says righteousness tends to life and without that's the oxygen that we need every sinner needs to be saved on the day of judgment so riches profit not on the day of wrath it's not going to mean a thing you know, all these billionaires, they're just nobodies. Mm. And I uh, have nothing to offer God if they're not standing in the righteousness of Christ. I really think that as Christians, we need to have a complete mental shift around it because it seems as though people are afraid or embarrassed to talk about God's wrath, especially in evangelism. And we just, we cannot shy away from this. Okay. The wrath of God really is good news. If you think about it, as I was mentioning earlier, as you see all of the filth in the world, all of the sin that's committed against others, we celebrate knowing that there is a just God who will pour out his wrath. The challenge becomes when we realize that each one of us is guilty of sin and deserves the same wrath that we want to see in others, right? And there's where the disconnect becomes. All of a sudden, we don't want a just, wrathful God. Now we want him to be the Dale Carnegie loving friend. We shortchange any sinner if we don't expose him to the wrath of God and show him that the wrath that's upon him is deserved because the more he understands that, the more he's going to grab mercy when it comes, the Mm -hmm. more he's going to appreciate mercy when it comes. So if you shortcut that, you're going to shortcut his understanding of the cross. And I like that you do a really good job of balancing that out because it's not the wrath of God. It's not fear of condemnation or hell that brings somebody to a saving faith because someone who declares Jesus as Lord of the Savior simply because they don't want to experience the wrath of God is still self-ambition. It's still self-protection. We've talked about it before. It's like, it's like the husband who cheated on his wife and now he's sleeping on a couch at his buddy's house, right? And he's sitting there going, you know what? I miss my, the comfortableness of my bed. I miss my wife's good cooking. I miss her affection. So he goes, he knocks on the door and he says, honey, I miss the bed. I miss your good cooking and I miss your affection. Will you forgive me? That's not repentance. That's self-ambition. And so to your point, you use the law and you bring up wrath so that they are prepared to understand and receive the good news and repent because they understand the glory of God. Amen. Last Wednesday, I taught a Bible study for the youth at my church and I've never opened up the law of God as much as I did that day. Wow. For about an hour, I went through all the commandments and I reasoned with the students concerning sin, judgment, and righteousness. I talked about the wrath of God and the holiness of God. And I could look out and I could see these kids' faces, about 100 kids' faces, and their jaws were wide open. Wow. Because they were eating hamburgers. And as I went through. Totally the law, ignore Oscar. <laughs> I saw that the law was doing its job. Yeah, that's good. That there was such weight that was put upon them, that was overpowering them, that when I talked about grace, they were so ready for it. And I've never done that over my 30 years of being a Christian, 32 years of being a Christian. I've never put so much emphasis upon the law. Wow. But that is the exact purpose 
of the law. It warns us for what is to come. And listen to this text out of Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 14, starting, it says, The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty men shall cry out. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. I will bring distress upon men and they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like refuse. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he will make speedy riddance of all those who dwell in the land. Oh, <laughs> well, how can we not run at sinners? Yeah. Wherefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade yeah. men, warning every man may present every man perfect. Well, I love that you brought it up with kids, not only warning every man, but warning children too. I don't know if you guys remember this, but we were at an ambassador's academy during the Q&A and somebody raised their hand and said, well, like I understand preaching the law and the gospel to people on the streets, but what about to our children? And our response was, it's the same. Because the challenge with like youth ministries today is that there's so much of like, oh, well, God loves you, God loves you. And then even parents, like most of the time now, I remember this one time we were sitting outside of church and this little like two-year-old smacked this other kid and they grabbed this thing. And then the mom was like, come on, it's time to go. And he was screaming, no. And he was being so rambunctious. Then she looks over and she goes, uh, you know, he's just so independent. And I was like, lady, your kid's a brat. <laughs> I didn't say that, but I wanted to say that, you know? And so the point is, Crush that children yeah. need the law yeah. just as much as a full-grown adult. Yeah. We need to know these things. A little boy needs a good independent spank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're creating a monster if you leave a child to what itself. Book? What book would you recommend for a Oh, How to Bring Your Children to Christ and Keep Them There. Yes, How to Bring Your Children to Christ and Bring Them There. Great, great keep book. Keep them there. Keep them there. You know, guys, we mentioned John 3.16 and how that's just so loosely cited, right? Outside of the broader context, of course, God in his common grace has extraordinary love toward this world. That's why Christ came and died. We skip just two verses down, verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And then we go to the end of the chapter, right? Same chapter, John 3, from which we quote John 3, and 16. this is John the Baptist speaking now. Yeah, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. I mean, whoo! Well, imagine if you could John see spiritually, three. you see people walking around, and there's just this black cloud that's getting thicker and yeah. thicker and thicker and bouncing with lightning and thunder above oh. the heads of every human being. One of the challenges of John 3.16 is that it is translated to us in a way that is not always helpful. There's two challenges that I've preached on this, this verse before. The first is that when we open our Bibles, when we go to John 3.16, right above it, between 15 and 16, there's a chapter heading. And it's always something like, 
God's love of the world or something of that nature. But it's important for us to recognize as Bible readers that those chapter headings are not originally a part of the Bible. And often those chapter readings can be very helpful to us navigating our way through this thick text. But sometimes, and particularly in this situation, they can actually be unhelpful because it separates John 3.16 from the entire argument that's above it, which has something to do with a serpent in the wilderness being put up on a cross. And it has everything to do with actually the wrath of God and how God plans to free us from that wrath. And so I actually think that even though the CSB version is not the one that I preach from at our church, it is, I think, the most helpful. It doesn't sound like God loves you so much. This is how much God loves you. Instead, it's done correctly coming out of the conversation with Nicodemus after he's talking about the snakes in the wilderness. John 3.16 is translated like this. For God loved you in this way, He gave his one and only son that so that anyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So it's an example of God's love rather than like he loves you so much, which I think is the way that we read most translations. Yeah, no, that's, that's good. And, you know, you think of what it says in Ephesians 5, 6, as Paul lists out these lists of sins and those who commit them, he says, let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And anytime scripture highlights, don't be deceived. It's doing it because this is something through which people can yeah. typically be deceived. So Pay don't attention. be deceived. Yeah. <laughs> the wrath of God. Six, nine, six through to nine. Or is it, uh, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators. Yeah. It's same thing. Yeah. Well, not inherit the kingdom of God. Exactly. And so we have to keep that before our eyes and and remember that. Again, to quote Jerry Bridges, he says, This is the Jerry Bridges program. The Jerry Bridges show. (laughs) Starting to to sound like Mike, uh, Mike, Mark. Winston Churchill. (laughs) Churchill. I was thinking the same thing. (laughs) God, by the very perfection of his moral nature, cannot but be angry at sin, not only because of its destructiveness to humans, but more important, because of its assault on his divine majesty. This is not the mere petulance of an offended deity because his commands are not obeyed. It is rather the necessary response of God to uphold his moral authority in his universe. And though God's wrath does not contain the sinful emotions associated with human wrath, it does contain a fierce intensity arising from his settled opposition to sin and his determination to punish it to the utmost. Oh, Yeah, but I like what he says there. It is the necessary response of God. Mm. It must be because of the reality of righteousness. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you think of Romans 2, 5, it says, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Those are the verses that, are often cited by people who disagree with using God's justice and righteousness to drive people to the cross, where they say the goodness of God leads us to repentance. You've got to remember that. Just preach the goodness of God. It'll bring people to repentance. But if that were true, the apostle Paul is playing the hypocrite because he sandwiched that verse in wrath, both sides. Yeah. You read it, it's just some of the most wrath-filled portions of Scripture. You're storing up wrath that's going to be revealed on the day of wrath. Did you answer the question? You're scratching your head, Mark. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's a beautiful portion of Scripture, Romans 2. I think it's valuable to remember the gospel and the good news and 
Tim Thorburn talking about the wrath of God says this, God is rightly angry because of our neglect of him and a refusal to thank and honor him. That may appear to have the whiff of self-indulgent narcissism at first sight, but God as Trinity helps us to understand that this is not the case. As Jesus explains in John 5, the father loves the son and so does all to bring honor to the son. When people do not honor the son, the father takes it personally. He is angry. Again, his anger flows from his love. It is not opposed to his love. And of course, the gospel good news is that through the death of Jesus on the cross, the fullness of the wrath of God was poured out on him. Nothing was held back. Not only, and here's the thing about the penal substitutionary atonement, which we talked about earlier, it's not enough to just say that God received the wrath that you deserved. Penal substitution also has everything to do with that you receive the righteousness of Christ. You are adorned with the righteousness of Christ. So something is taken from you and something is given to you on that cross. That is the good news of the gospel. Wow. Mark, don't you think that's what Jesus was getting at when he talked about our righteousness surpassing that of the scribes and the Pharisees? I mean, (laughs) you think of anyone who was righteous and the externalities of doing good deeds and abiding by God's law. And, but it's that perfect righteousness that we need. That's what's going to deliver us. Yeah, righteousness is a, is a right standing before the Father. And we get our righteousness through the life of Christ, not the death of Christ. I was talking to a, a young girl last night at a Bible study that I just taught. And she said, How do I, what do I share with my friend who believes that she's never broken any of the laws. Hmm. And I do what, you know, what we've learned, you know, the first commandment. And I say, you know, I would ask her, you know, have you always loved God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Yeah. And then when she says yes, you know, which would predictably be so when you deny all the other commandments, you say, well, either your friend is lying or the Bible is lying because there's none who seek after God. There's none good, no, not one. And it's something to pull out. Well, you know, we had lunch with uh, Jim Eliff a while, well, many years ago. And this is the story, Ray, where I said, Ray's got a dog. Because oh. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about their big, massive dogs. Yeah. Right? Ray's got this little itty-bitty <laughs> dog. Well, Jim Eliff, this is, this is what he said. He said, if you were to sin only 10 times a day for one year, you would disobey God 3,650 times. But if you sin 10 times a day for 15 years, you would sin 54,750 times. You are a professional sinner. Yet how many times did Adam sin before he was cursed by God? Hmm. That puts things into perspective, doesn't it? Wow, that really does. And I often cite that in terms of remembering why we are in the predicament we're in in this world with all of its wickedness and sin and fallenness and death and all that. One man and woman eating a piece of forbidden fruit in a garden thousands of years ago. (laughs) I love that. And it goes deeper than that because what makes you a sinner is not your sin. The nature of man is depraved. The thing that makes me a sinner is not that I professionally do these things. It is in the very nature of who I am to be a rebellious sinner against God. And going back to the gospel is that that very nature is put to death and is transformed into the righteousness of Christ. Mm. Amen. 
Well, friends, don't forget this verse, Revelation 14, 10 to 11. He also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives a mark of its name. I can't think of a more descriptive passage of scripture on the wrath of God than this, you know, and it's terrifying. It should really strike a chord of terror in the heart of anyone who hasn't surrendered to Christ. Mm. And I just think of these young Christians that are playing games and maybe you're listening right now and that's what you're doing. You can look into your life and you can see you've been playing games. Guys, God is not to be trifled with. He's a consuming fire. God is so beyond us. Ray cited Moses, you know, and asking God to show him his glory. No man can see me and live. Like, mm. do we understand that who God is? I mean, just think on what we talked about in the other podcast on his holiness, but his wrath is certain. And if you don't know Christ, you will face the fury of the wrath of God forever. In the words of Jonathan Edwards, wicked men will hereafter earnestly wish to be turned to nothing and forever cease to be that they may escape the wrath of God. Dang. That's heavy. That was hard to read without breaking up. But friends, we urge you, flee, flee from the wrath to come. Find your refuge in Jesus. That's the gospel. Because when you see the wrath of God in its fullness and the fact that it is justly due every single person, and then you see what he did to save us from it, to save us from himself, for himself, that'll cause you to become undone and overflow with gratitude for what God did. And hopefully you'll repent, put your faith in Christ. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time here on the Living Waters Podcast. chicken dinner. I have no idea where that ridiculous saying came from, but friends, we do have winners. Winners for the podcast giveaway. That is the Living Waters podcast. We have Angela from Yucca Valley, California. Yvonne from Crestline, California. Brooke from Clayton, North Carolina. Andrea from Anderson, Indiana. Elias from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Becca from Lincoln University, Pennsylvania. Lowell from Yakima, Washington. Don from Charleston, Illinois. John from Ford, Australia. Good on you, Mike. And Dave from Willen Lane, United Kingdom. Congrats.